Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that remembered about 20 minutes ago, but it's Father's Day this Sunday. Phew. These past couple of months, we've had a lot of fun chatting to musicians and compiling our favourite ever city sides and what have you. And we're sincerely grateful that you've stuck with us. We've talked about anything but football because there hasn't been any football to discuss. Now there is. So we're really pleased to say that today's show is a return to form, our usual format, as we look back at the games that have taken place this week and ahead to a weekend of fixtures. To do this, we're even more pleased to say that we're joined by two cracking guests in the form of Jordan Elcott and Joe Barfield. Good morning, Jordan. How goes it? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Steve. Thank you very much for the intro as well. Very kind. Nice uh, start apart from getting your name um, wrong, did I say Elcott? You did, but Steve, on radio, when I do my shifts, I've had everything from Jean Jordan Elgott to Jamie. So I'm, as, you're in the you're in the right ballpark there. So well, that, I'll accept it. Jordan Elcott for the rest of the show. <laughs> Apologies, mate. And hello, Joe. How are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I was uh, I was doing better before you reminded me that it it's Father's Day coming up soon because I had. Uh, had you forgotten to? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, I think that's uh, that's my today and tomorrow sorted, trying to uh, work out what to get. Yeah, thank God for Amazon next day delivery, because otherwise, <laughs> oh, God, if this had happened 10 years ago, I don't know what, especially in lockdown as well, because like, I'm in Wales, there's no shops open, so. Oh yeah, you're done, you're done for if you forget really any other time. Been. Although I could have just blamed a pandemic and, you know. So, oh yeah, well yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've, football's back, and um it's kind of come out of the blue, even though we expected it, of course, and we knew when it was coming. It, it just, personally speaking, it kind of crept up on me, and I found myself saying, wow, City are playing in two days' time. Oh, my God, City are playing tomorrow. And, and then even on the day itself, it's like I couldn't get my head around the fact that City were playing. Um, the Arsenal game has been covered in depth on the review show, but I think it would be remiss if the three of us didn't kind of just have a quick look back and... Um, not just at the game itself, but how we felt about the occasion. Um, start with you, Jordan. How did you feel watching the Blues in such a surreal environment? Um, I didn't actually mind it too much. I've been watching a lot of Bundesliga, mm. um, so I'm used to not having the fan sound. And I actually went for the option on Sky to have the non-fake fans um, yes. around yeah. the game. Yeah, I actually quite enjoyed hearing the shouts, you know, it was a bit more difficult in the Bundesliga, but I find it quite intriguing in a nerdy way to to hear what the players are shouting, and you can understand it in English. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't mind it too much. And also, as someone who's lived in Scotland for the last two years, and prior to that, I was in Nottingham at university, I've not been to that many games over the past sort of four-year spell. Mm. It's been more of a, you know, whenever I'm back in Manchester and get the chance, I go. But a lot of the time, I am just watching it on TV, so I didn't really miss the sort of match day um, match going atmosphere that much and to be honest although you know we want fans there it didn't bother me that much it really didn't um I, I find it quite easy to to stay engaged with the game but it was two very high quality sides on display mm. um Sheffield United against Aston Villa early in the day was a lot more of a struggle to watch yeah I'm with you on that one um Joe were you able to summon the same emotions as you would you know in, in ordinary circumstances uh, I, I think I was to be honest. I think the sort of the fact that we were coming back from a long time off really helped that. I think um, that sort of made any any city game felt like a, a, a really interesting 
emotionally invested game at that point especially after because like Jordan I've been watching a lot of the Bundesliga to get like my football fix Mm. in the last month or so and so going from watching a lot of football that you're sort of quite emotionally detached from like I don't really support any team in the Bundesliga or have any particular interest in one team over any other so to go from sort of a lot of neutral viewing to actually watching a game where City are playing I actually feel invested um, yeah, I, I was on on the fan side of thing. I, I, it didn't really affect my enjoyment too much. I actually watched the the Sky feed that did have the um, the fan the, oh, the crowd okay. noise because I I sort of find that the, the ambient noise of the crowd in the background like quite sort of I, I just find that to be part of watching football. It's just something that I've got so used to that when I've been watching the Bundesliga. Granted, they're all speaking German, but when I've been watching the Bundesliga with just the, the the neutral sound of the actual stadium itself and it's just completely empty, I've found it a bit a bit strange to watch, to be honest. But um, yeah, I think I might, I might give it a go without the sound next time and see how that compares. Yeah, I mean, I, I went for the natural sound only because it kind of felt like a pre-season friendly to me and any pre-season friendlies I've been to, it you know, that's the kind of noises you hear. You can hear the kind of shout to the players and all the rest of it. So it just fit into that. I guess that's why I went with it. It was. I started off with the kind of fake sound, um, and it just didn't feel right. If it sounded kind of unnatural, but yeah, I actually might go back to the noise for, for some of the other games. I think just with City, I preferred it. Plus, I want to hear what Pep was shouting. And that's what comes. Mm. Um, as for the game itself. How did you view the overall performance? Um, what was your take on kind of City's kind of form and fitness? Um, Jordan, did, were they better prepared than you were led to believe? Because you know, Pap did kind of leak it out there that you know some of his players weren't kind of hundred percent yet. Yeah, first fifteen minutes, I was a bit concerned. I thought Arsenal looked sharper, um, and I think the weather conditions, although both sides do like playing on the ground. Arsenal were clearly the more attacking side and mistakes are, are sort of more common from the team in possession when the when the surface is so slippery and that sort of thing. I, I was a bit concerned. And Ketia looks bright. So did Kieran Tierney. And for the first 15-20 minutes, I thought Arsenal were well in the game. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, as tends to happen immediately after I tweet my thoughts like that, City just uh, flick a switch to make yeah. me look a bit stupid. And after that, I think, you know, it's just a bit of rustiness there. Like, for example, Kevin De Bruyne um, was, you know, there was evidence that he hadn't played for three months. You could see that some of his passing was a little bit off. But at the same time, some of his passing was like he'd been playing, you know, twice a week, every week. He was still, you know, the, the quality was still there for all to see. And yeah, after that sort of 20-minute spell, I think it was really when Pablo Mari got injured, although the tide was starting to turn from that move when he got injured, you know, Kyle Walker darting forward, playing the ball into the box and uh, really should have been finished off by Jesus who who let the ball run. But you could see that City were coming into the game at that point and uh, yeah, after that injury to Pablo Mari, after Louise came on and, you know, City just absolutely steamrolled them after that. Yeah. Joe, uh, with the injuries to Mari and Shaka, um, it was kind of, you know, evidence that something we all kind of feared really that players coming back a bit too early Injuries were going to be a factor, um, but we were lucky in that regard with City, and, and you know we kind of got through the game relatively unscathed, um, apart from of course you know an incident that can't be put down to not being hundred percent fit. Um, so with that in mind, are, are you pleased with how it all went? Can we look ahead now to the Burnley game and say, okay, you know the lads have, have got ninety minutes in their legs, 
Um, we're starting to find our passing range. Um, it, it kind of went as well as we could have hoped. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think Arsenal's injuries are quite sort of unfortunate in a way because we, we we expected a lot of things like muscle injuries when they came back from from something like this, mm. but both their injuries were quite sort of unfortunate, like ligament injuries and stuff like that that just could have happened any time. But I think on our side of things, we 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 all looked quite comfortable fitness wise I thought I mean there was by the time it got to the end of the game you could see that a few players were starting to slow down a bit but um, in terms of how it looks for the future I mean if you look at the players that didn't even start the game you know Aguero came on quite late into the game um, Stones, Cancelo, Sane, Zinchenko like even Otamendi they, they didn't even get onto the pitch at all um, and so with the kind of with the pack schedule that we've got coming up especially after a long break where there are going to be some fitness questions it's uh it's definitely a big a big advantage to have a squad the size of ours and i think that it was quite promising on on wednesday okay yeah well i fully agree with, with both of these to be honest i think overall we can kind of look ahead with optimism now for for Burnley. and it's kind of it's it's the same to a lot of my doubts really about the returning of football um, afterwards I did during the game I was kind of commenting to a couple of people saying this just feels weird this feels wrong but then kind of in hindsight afterwards it's like I'm glad that happened It's I'm, I'm glad it's returned I'm glad it's back so I've kind of changed my opinion on that overall really um, yeah, the bit that I found the most like sort of difficult to sort of compute was when they were when they were talking about things like oh can can Arsenal catch Manchester United and stuff like that as if as if they'd been playing last week and as if the season yeah. was just carried on from a week ago and it's like it does feel as much as it's good to have it back it it, it almost feels entirely sort of disconnected from what happened three months ago like it's 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 kind of mm. strange. I think it'll be a bit different maybe once there's like a full fixture list this weekend. But yeah, it it, it still felt a bit strange despite being happy that it's back. Yeah, I thought it is weird that there's going to be you know a relegation fight and a proper top four fight as well in the next eight games to come, eight or nine games. It's just bizarre to think that actually anything actually matters, particularly for us as City fans as well, because. I think that result against Arsenal pretty much shows up top four beyond any doubt. I think there's a very sizable gap now and uh, the way that City play, you're not really going to get too much, uh, too much of a problem in terms of unpredictable results going against you. You might be the odd one or two, but it'd be very difficult for City to, to miss out on their aims now, which is at max finishing second. Whereas for other clubs, everything is still on the line. Um, It's really bizarre to think. Because we're just happy that football's back, but other fans will be really nervous about what's going to happen over the next next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's very conceivable this could have been a next kind of um, title race with Liverpool, and had that been. Well, the can case, you imagine last year, Steve? Yeah, imagine last year when City and Liverpool were winning every week. <laughs> had there been a had oh. there been a break seven games into that fourteen stretch unbeaten run? I mean, it would have. Been I would not have really been able to handle that. No, I would not have gone on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, that would be too much. It's, I mean, Norwich have got a huge game tonight, and it's at six o'clock, and on a Friday, it's you know behind closed doors. Obviously, it's it's all a very strange, unusual circumstances still, but it's I don't know. I, I don't want to use the phrase new normal, but it's maybe just for the next year, this might be the new normal, and mm. I just felt like it for me personally that's manageable it's something I can kind of absorb and make sense of and even enjoy um, so yeah I mean going back to what you were saying Joe about kind of you know talking about can Arsenal catch United that's a very rare occurrence of me feeling a bit of sympathy for Martin Tyler because I'm really not Martin Tyler's you know biggest fan at all um, 
And he further annoyed me with kind of, you know, comments he made in, in the Edison challenge where he was kind of essentially insinuating that Edison had got Marnie sent off three years ago, uh, which is a bizarre thing to say. But early yeah. on, Tyler was kind of, you know, harking back saying, and, and I thought, well, he has to do that. You know, he has to remind us where we are, um, you know, just recap essentially. And it is pertinent too, because, you know, although it feels very much like a mini league and, and a, a separate league to what's gone on before it, it's a continuation. So um, I did feel a bit of sympathy for, it, for him there because, you know, he, he was mentioning things that happened ages ago and I found myself scoffing at that. But of course it's pertinent, you know, it's these points are the three points um, and a win for Arsenal could have got them back into it. But I think they're, they're, they're done for now, do you think, Jordan, for top four, Arsenal? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a bridge too far for now. I think Chelsea and United are far strong in far stronger positions. And also, I mean, I know clubs don't go to City expecting to take anything, but the, it was the manner in which the game ended um, that must have um, sapped a bit of their confidence because they started well. There was promise there, but in the end, it was sort of a typical Arsenal rollover away from home. So that can't have done much good. But they are they can be good flat track bullies. Um Abamyang scores plenty against the, the bottom half, but I think it'll be a, a step too far for them to get top four now. I don't think that's what their uh, their realistic target will now be. Yeah. I don't well, even know who's their who's their centre back partnership now. Is it just gonna have to be Mustafi and Holding now well, for the rest of the season, basically? Because yeah, I think they've got a a young Greek guy, don't they, whose name I don't want to butcher, who's playing a little <laughs> bit as well. Uh, is it something like Mavropanos or something like that? That's the um, one, yeah. And then also, where, where's Socrates? I have no idea. It didn't feature at all, did he? And, and yeah, what was, what's the story must... behind Ozil? Well, Ozil, I, oh. I think, is. Uh, didn't Arteta come out and say that he wasn't fit mentally or physically? Something along those but, lines. But what's the difference between now and, and you know, normally <laughs> yeah I, mean, well, the case? <laughs> I, I think he'd fit he'd fit um been sort of a mainstay in Arteta's team during mm. this um during the previous run before the pandemic but I mean Arteta seems to be really um laying down the law with his players at the moment both in terms of you know contract situations because uh there's been strong words about Abamyang and there's been strong words about Louise and also I mean, Ozil's come into it and he, he seems to only be playing people who have uh, the right mentality. And that's what Gary Neville said and I totally agreed with. Um, they need a, a culture, cultural um, change at yes. the club. Yeah. To- they, they need a total shift in mindset. Um, and until that happens and they stop buying players who, like David Luiz, are just there for the lifestyle maybe of staying in London getting paid a lot of money um, and actually I think they're on the track to, to getting some youth players through there are some talented players coming through there but they, they do need a total cultural change to uh, yeah. to change the way that both people think of them and the way that they actually think of themselves Well when you look at their away record against the top four it's abysmal and it's so far reaching and kind of goes so far back you know, it incorporates kind of three different managers and kind of, you know, a whole raft of personnel. And so you have to kind of identify that as a cultural problem. And, um, you know, that's not the case of there's a certain set of lads who just, you know, aren't up for it when it really matters. And this goes really, you know, far back as well. So 
Yeah, I, I, I think you got it bang on there, Gary Neville. It is a cultural problem there at Arsenal. And it just seems to have gone on now for years. Um, just that, I mean, God, well, I used to write articles when I first started writing for the Daisy Cutter about kind of, you know, the weakness at the centre of Arsenal and having need a leader and stuff. And, you know, I'm going back eight years. <laughs> it's it, it needs changing there. It really does. Because they've, they've clearly got a very talented squad. They have... Uh, kind of, a, you know, a manager who looks outwards now and really kind of can really change them uh, for the better. So we've got everything in place um, except for possibly just kind of a collective mentality issue, which isn't going away really, you know. So how do you change that? Do you kind of, can Arteta change it amongst the players he has or does he need to kind of basically bring in three or four big names who will be the dominant, you know, players in that dressing room? Um, I suspect it might be the latter, which kind of brings me to a second question, really, of today. It was announced this week that UEFA plan to relax FFP due to the pandemic's impact. Joe, how big a development is this? Um, can this will this change transfer activity for the year ahead for Premier League clubs? Yeah, it's um, it's it's quite it's quite funny that as soon as we're going through the process of like potentially being banned from European mm. competitions, the, the the FFP rules get relaxed. Like that'll that'll have the that'll have the agenda brigade going. Um, yeah, I think it's I, I I don't know what it means for Premier League clubs as a whole necessarily because I assume that the Premier League's financial fair play rules are, are going to remain unchanged unless yeah, they said yeah, otherwise. Yeah. Um, so, it, but in terms of the top the top six seven, um, I think they're probably going to really like take this opportunity to you know invest pretty heavily like sort of Chelsea have started to do with the with the moves they're making at the moment obviously they they're coming off the back of the transfer ban and have a lot of money stored up from player sales in that time um I know that clubs like Liverpool and Arsenal are already talking about how the 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 COVID-19 situation has really affected them and how that means they might not be able to go out and get the transfer targets that they they maybe otherwise would have wanted to um but I think you'll start to see as well as Chelsea, like the likes of United and hopefully City will start to sort of flex their financial muscles. They've sort of don't really rely, they don't necessarily rely on the match day income that they've missed out on in the last three months, maybe necessarily as much as, as those other clubs. Um, so it's from our perspective, personally, from City's perspective, it's kind of irrelevant in the short term if we're going to get a ban from the Champions League anyway. Um, but hypothetically, if this sort of relaxation of the FFP rules means that is it is it a three year period that they inspect for the FFP, and if 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 this relaxation kind of wipes the summer of twenty twenty off that or or almost as good as, then maybe this is the ideal time for City to sort of spend the money that we obviously have and just get players in that you know that we might have. I think it was was it Pep's first season where we sort of got a few players in a year early. I think we should yes. maybe just do that if we've got if we've got the chance to, and we know that it won't affect our financial fair play books going forward. We might have to start bending our wage structure a little bit to attract players who we wouldn't be able to get without Champions League football, perhaps. But if you know if we have that sort of leeway in terms of financial fair play to spend more money this summer than we would maybe be able to next, then I think we should take advantage. And I think maybe other Premier League clubs will think the same. Jordan, this absolutely sucks, doesn't it? I mean, the timing of it. I mean, it's, it's a welcome development, of course, but and it's something that could potentially benefit Manchester City hugely. And yet we've got this Champions League ban kind of hanging over our heads. I mean, it's it's cruel, isn't it? Well, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm no FFP expert. I've basically just read a little bit about it um, in the past couple of days. 
um, in terms of these latest developments. And from what I can gather, um, and what I've read, I might have read the wrong thing, I don't know, um, but the changes aren't that significant from what I can see. That I think it's basically they're giving clubs an extra month to account for um, tax bills and wages and transfer instalments, and also that it will be dealt with on a case-by-case basis, meaning that clubs won't be necessarily punished if they fail to meet the, the threshold and that there will be an investigation into each case based on whether they've been significantly affected by the pandemic in not meeting the, um, the requirements of financial fair play. Is that, is that not what these relaxation rules are? Yeah, well, um, according to Rob Harris, the assessment of financial year 2020 is postponed for one season will be assessed together with the financial year 2021. Um, And that that was a big thing I took from it. I mean, it's interesting what you said there. I wasn't aware of that. So you're suggesting or you're stating that basically it won't be as significant a development as, you know, some blues were meant to believe. That's that's the general impression that I've got. Um, And... From what Rob Harris is saying, that sounds like it won't be totally ignored, the 2020 season. It will just be assessed at a later date. So from a general perspective, from all clubs' perspective, those rules are not there to allow clubs to go out and spend whatever they want. For most clubs, that won't be something that comes into their heads. Whatever your view of your UEFA, this has been done in good faith to allow clubs a bit more leeway when it comes to actual survival and being able to continue as normal in European competition in the future. Um, not so that City can go out and sign Kylian Mbappe for 200 million pounds. <laughs> That's not something that they can go and get away with just because, and Dan say, well, well, the lockdowns <laughs> enabled us to do it. You know, it's, it's not, that's not what those rules are there for. Nor do I think, let's say City overturn, uh, get this decision overturned in the Court of Arbitration for Sport, in early July, nor do I think City will be eager to, to um, I don't know how you, how you say it, just sort of push, push the test boundaries. the waters any further. Yeah, yeah exactly. Push. Te- uh, push the boundaries with UEFA. I think they'd be happy to get back into the Champions League and just tow the line a little bit. So I'd in, I don't really think it's that big a deal from what I've read. I might be wrong, but that's just my impression of it. Okay. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but obviously, if if it is the case that clubs can go out and spend what they want, then City would be, I'm sure Sheikh Mansour has enough money to allow the club to survive and also buy an Mbappe, but I just can't see that okay. that being the case. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, because I, I, I have to be honest now, I'm so fatigued by FFP that whenever new developments occur, it used to be where I'd really read up on it and really research it and... I've just lost all fight now with it. You know, I just want City to kind of get this ban overturned. But as regards to the kind of, you know, intricacies of FFP, because I don't have a financial brain, you know. In, and as I said at the start of the, the show, I only just remembered it as Father's Day this Sunday. I'm, you know, somewhat of a fuckwit. So, um, <laughs> and, and yet there's times where someone will approach me and say, oh, can you write about this for, you know, FFP? And it's like, you know, it's just not my field. I really struggle with it. So, um yeah, I'm glad we've had this discussion. That's been a bit of an eye-opener to me. Because I wasn't aware of how much of a development it was um, and how much it would Im- impact upon you know, the transfer window kind of going forward. Um, let's look at something else, another aspect of this week. Um, 
and this is absolutely something what what interests me and, and something I've read up on and um, I find it a fascinating subject and, and um, much more besides the course but um, prior to the game uh, the Arsenal City game and of course the Villa Sheffield United game uh, all players took the knee um, with the players together initiative and Marcus Rashid Rashford challenging the government and Raheem Sterling um, kind of speaking out on racial issues. We're now seeing players unafraid to stand up and use their influence for good. Um, Joe, how welcomed is this? How, how you know, how much should this be encouraged? It's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's nothing but a good thing, to be honest, because growing up, um, sort of my only experience with football as in sort of the wider media um, has been just pretty overwhelmingly negative. Um, it's largely just due to tabloids who just make a living out of right. know, tearing everybody down. Yeah. Um, and it's been sort of like a long running, dro- running joke that, um, you know, every in the build up to every sort of international tournament, everyone loves to build up the England team. And then once the actual tournament begins, it's like, you know, it's dressing room leaks. It's, you know, scandalous night outs. It's footballers cheating on the wives and stuff like that. And, you know, and even this, and, you know, I think the Kyle Walker experience in lockdown has sort of shown that that kind of still exists to, to some extent. Um so, sort of, you know, Rashford and Sterling, as well as the likes of, um, I think, Troy Deeney and Wes Morgan were sort of quite behind the, the Black Lives Matter on the back of the shirts yep. and stuff like that. Um, they're sort of doing pretty much everything they can to turn the tide of how footballers in general, but also particularly black footballers, because I think, you know, everyone who's listening to this podcast is going to be very aware of how Sterling's been treated in the last five or six years. Um, so they're doing sort of everything they can to sort of bring about some kind of social change that's going to change how they're sort of looked at. Um, um, what Rashford is doing, you know, which is which is unbelievable. He, he he legitimately deserves a knighthood for what he's managed to do in the last uh, in the last month or so. Um, just makes me quite sort of proud to be Mancunian, and yeah. like what Sterling's doing makes me very proud that he plays for Manchester City. And we're starting to see this like the beginning of a new generation of like very socially aware footballers who kind of understand what kind of power they have in terms of bringing about change. I think social media has been a big part of that as well. But um, yeah, hopefully we're starting to see the beginning of a sort of a, a new wave of footballers who know how to use their influence to sort of help positively change things. Jordan, do you um, should you be on social media and you see you know a footballer speaking out and and saying something that basically you know you, you can't really argue against? You know, it's just putting forward a, an argument of, for fairness, let's say. Um, and should you see a reply from someone saying stick to football? or keep your nose out of politics or whatever it may be. Um, how, how do you kind of instinctively feel when you see such a response? Well, I think we're past the point where people can legitimately say that football and politics don't mix. Mm. Um, it's it's now seeing the difference that Marcus Rashford has made um, should only inspire footballers to use their platform to, to venture into other areas of society and make a positive difference like Rashford's done and this uh, taking the knee movement I don't think the effect of it should be understated it's absolutely massive you know this this whole thing started with uh, Colin Kaepernick in the NFL doing Mm. it in 2016 and the backlash he received was horrendous um, from, from his own supporters and from people in politics saying that he was unpatriotic for taking the knee clearly missing the point that he was doing it as a stand to the way that black people were being treated in America. Didn't, and as a result, he, trouble, didn't the vice president walk out the stadium as well? I'm I, sure. That does ring yeah, that, that does was, ring that was, that was I mean, recently, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, it's horrible, really. And he hasn't played an NFL 
um, match since I think 2017. Yeah, and you know that that's clearly um, as a result of, of his actions. So for Premier League footballers to be so united, not just footballers, the referees, the officials, yeah, you know, this absolutely. is clear. I think it promotes the message that this is the right thing to do, and we should can't. Um, forget how big an impact the Premier League has, not just on a UK level, but on a global level. There will be p- people in America watching that who maybe prior, because of their surroundings and their upbringing, were unsure of Colin Kaepernick's actions. But maybe this movement in the Premier League now, seeing all their favourite players doing it, like likes Sergio Aguero, Kevin De Bruyne, if Mane and Salah do it, people who are icons to these children in America growing up, that might educate them in their views. So it is, it is great to see. I was really proud to see it. It was, it was beautiful the first time I saw it against Aston Villa Sheffield United. It was a really special moment and I hope to see it continue. I think that's a really good point you mentioned there. I think it was quite... I was saying about the kind of influence of um, on children and being a positive role model. Um, you know, I, I've got a nephew who's now kind of 14, 15. Between the age of maybe 7 to 12, it just brought it home to me how obsessed kids are about football, how much they worship footballers. You know, they, they, every action they do... If they celebrate a certain way, then, you know, they do replicate it on, on the pitch, you know, when they play for their school team or whatever. And it reminded me of how I was when I was a kid, and I'd forgotten how obsessed I was about Manchester City and football. Um, and that has huge repercussions in a positive way, kind of spread out right across the country and right across the world for all these kids who are now going to think, why are they doing that? What's what's their motivation behind taking a knee? And, you know, they'll, oh, they'll copy it as too of course as well and yeah but they'll look into it and find out why if matches were going on now school matches they'd all be doing it at the start yeah yeah and they'll want to know why you know they won't just do it in ignorance you know it's children are inquisitive by nature and and they'll want to know why and they'll look into it and they'll learn about it and yeah we cannot be understated how important that was i think and but also individually as well when you look at the players and kind of speaking out now particularly during this whole kind of um, lockdown period um, footballers have really kind of come to the fore and, and just kind of showed themselves to be individuals with kind of opinions. And this is hugely encouraging for me. I mean, I, you know, interview players and particularly former players and it, it, it can be exasperating sometimes because they're so well trained in terms of PR into talking but saying nothing. You know, we know they're not going to get tripped up. Um, and they know that if we put out a tweet or if they just say a sentence wrong, then it can cause a scandal. And they're scared of that and they just stick to the party line. And I don't blame them for an instance for doing that, but now they're not doing that anymore. They're speaking their minds and they're, they're kind of promoting causes. And personally, I just think, you know, more and more, please. Uh, sorry, Joe, you're going to say yeah. something I, I interrupted. I was going to say about sort of the uh, the taking the knee thing. It, it was it was really nice that that felt like it was very much um, sort of a an on the spot decision that the players made. Is we we knew that there were going to be like you know the minute silence or, or applause for the the, uh, the NHS workers at the start, but this felt like it was just something that the players had clearly either just decided in the tunnel or in the dressing room before and that they were going to do. And it's just nice that things like that aren't being sort of done for the nice PR reasons and all the stuff yeah. like that. It's being done because they're all legitimately you know, they're all legitimately behind the movement and they all really want it to, you know, actually make some change. But it was just good to see them do it off their own backs. 
And, and of course, it will be interesting to see, um, Joe, on, on that subject. I mean, I don't want to be cynical, but it will be interesting to see which teams don't do it, if any. Because do you, do you think football can be a reflection of society, and unfortunately that could mean that there are racists within the game playing and people who do not stand for the Black Lives Matter uh, campaign. I had, this, I so, had this debate with one of my mates, yeah. So do, do, you actually, do you think there could be a team that wouldn't do it? I don't, I don't, I don't think the, I don't think there will be because of the pressure on them Peer to pressure, do it. Yeah, but I think yeah, there, yeah. I think, I think there will definitely be some players. There'll be individuals on some. There might even been some at the City game and the Arsenal. There might be some of those players who just think, you know, why are we doing this? What's the point? And maybe didn't want to do it. But if you've got twenty-one people around you who are kneeling down, you're not going to be the one guy mm. who stands up, are you? I think the only way that it could maybe not happen is if a team as a whole decide we're not going to we're not going to yeah. make it political we're not going to do anything like that we're just going to we're just going to get out there we're going to stand up and we're going to just play the game as normal but i would not want to be the i would not want to be the pr manager for that team whoever does that because no. they're going to have a lot of cleaning up to do the day after yeah 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 well it'll be fascinating to see where we go from here and let's just hope that this is not something that's that's isolated if you like to the coronavirus kind of new normal and this this does indeed become the new normal that footballers speak out and um you know the 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 biggest take from me is kind of you know the government who basically just try to use football and footballers as as scapegoats at the start to to detract from criticism and say you know oh they should be doing more and they should do this with their wages and and then footballers, it's almost like we all got together as one and said, right, okay, we'll show you because, you know, we've got more morality and, and, you know, than you have and just did the right thing. Time and time again, they've done the right thing. I, I think the image of football has improved substantially in the past few months. And so hopefully agents and managers and the authorities in particular will see that and put two and two together and think, okay, you know, footballers are actually not just good role, role models on the pitch, but you know, let's let them speak. Just let them speak their minds and and kind of promote causes, and um, hopefully that will continue. Um, and of course, there's going to be some you know bad as well as the good, um, as you alluded to there. That could well be a footballer who doesn't want to take the knee and, and might well speak out. That is right. I mean, you know, let's have that debate. You know, it's we're all grown ups, and I think we've just treated footballers as as children for far too long. Um, so hopefully that will no longer be the case. So let's move on to um, transfers now. And there's been a big transfer this, this week. Um, Timo Werner to Chelsea. Has that been concluded, Jordan? Is that a done deal? Yeah, they Leipzig announced it yesterday on their Twitter feed, really bizarrely, um, almost posting like they'd signed him. It was really strange. They yeah. were almost celebrating yeah. the move. Um, and it was commented that most teams, had they done this, their fans would be in absolute uproar. I saw that, over yeah. the way it was done. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's been concluded now, and it, it's a massive coup for Chelsea because he's some player. Some yeah. Player. Well, now that he's kind of come, we can, we can look at the Chelsea situation, particularly up front with Tammy Abraham and Morata. Um, would Chelsea, let's start with you, Joe, would Chelsea always going to replace Morata for one, for one thing? Uh, yeah, yeah, they were always they were always going to sign another striker, definitely, because I think um, 
I, I quite like Giroud as a as a striker. Mm. I think he's a very good. I think he's a very good alternative option, especially if you're a team that sort of plays the kind of football that, that Chelsea play. I think it's. Mm. I always quite like the idea of it's a bit like a bit like Jacko. If it's the end of the game and you've got nothing, you've got nothing else to lose. Just pump it into the box, and Giroud's always got a chance to to get on the end of that. Yeah. Um. But but realistically, he doesn't actually play that much for Chelsea. I think he's quite sort of unfairly overlooked by by them as a whole and has been pretty much since they've since they signed him. Um Batshuayi's never really convinced me that he's good enough for a team that's actually contending for titles and stuff like that. So they were always going to buy another striker. But I was I was a bit surprised that maybe it was going to be someone quite as high profile as Werner because obviously there's been a lot of stock put into Abraham in the last year or so. But at the same time it's 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 part of being a striker at a top club, isn't it? There's always going to be you basically have to Part of it is is proving yourself against other top strikers and having that competition and coming out on top. Mm. Um, Chelsea are, Chelsea were never really going to sign a, a poor player who was obviously worse than Abraham. They were obviously going to sign someone who could push that and maybe take them to another level. And I I, I personally think that Werner is is better than Abraham based on what I've seen. So um, yeah, part part of replacing Morata is to sort of find another striker who can maybe compete for that top spot with with Abraham if he goes through a dry patch or whatever then Werner can step in and Werner can play anywhere across the front three as well so it's a bit of a double win for them yeah Jordan with with Werner's arrival now people are going to be putting two and two together and you know how kind of the media works in this regard there's going to be like you know 50 think pieces saying that Chelsea have now abandoned their investment in youth um, and now that their transfer ban's been lifted they're going to go out and just buy the best of the best again like they always have um, and this might kind of, you know, uh, nullify the development of players like Mason Mount and, and Abraham. Um, is that a right assessment, or, or are we just getting a bit too premature and jumping the gun there? I think that would be a bit unfair because um, Chelsea didn't necessarily have that commitment to youth in the first place. It was more of a necessity given the transfer ban that they had to use the players that they already had. Okay, Frank Lampard is someone who was always going to give you a chance. Um, but I don't think their their whole mantra is sort of, you know, Ajax sort of way where they make their own players and then sell them on. They're not a selling club. They're a club who want to be competing for Premier League titles and Champions League wins. And unfortunately, it's very unlikely you're going to produce a whole crop of players who are going to catapult you to one of those. Um, so I think they were always going to spend money. We'll have to wait and see what the effect is and how Lampard actually uses them. You think with Lampard's personality and his managerial style, there will still be plenty of opportunities for the young players coming through at Chelsea. Yeah. However, um, I can see Tammy Abraham not starting anywhere near as much. Uh, I think, in my personal view, Werner is miles better. Although Abraham scored 13 in 25, which is a very good return for his first full season as a... uh, Chelsea striker he missed a lot of chances he reminds me slightly not in terms of play style but in terms of um, being clinical of Gabriel Jesus who has clearly got very good stats plenty about him but you know he's not quite as ruthless as you'd want from a number nine challenging for a Premier League title Mm. Um, and I think Werner absolutely has that clinical edge so it'll be interesting to see whether they play him on the left or across the front three, as Joe says, or whether they make him the main man. And my gut instinct is that they should be making him the main man. They shouldn't be sacrificing his best position um, to accommodate Abraham. 
It'd be also interested to see, you know, if he does play on the left, then what does that mean for Callum hudson Adoy? Um, because I've also got Hakim Ziyech coming through, and they've also been heavily linked to uh, Kai Havertz from Bayer Leverkusen. Steady again, <laughs> uh, oh, I'll, be, I'll be devastated if that goes through. <laughs> but but what would that mean for Mason Mount? All of a sudden, you've got Ziyech, um, Havertz, Kante, Kovacic, Jorginho, Mount, all fighting for probably three midfield spots. Um, it would make it very challenging for the, the likes of Mount and any future players. Billy Gilmore as well, the young Scottish yeah, lad, has been absolutely superb when we've seen him. I know he, he plays slightly deeper than the likes of Averts and uh, Mount, but these signings do have an impact, that's for sure. Um, we'll have to wait and see how much of a chance they get and what Chelsea's future spending will be like. But, uh, you know, if you're a Chelsea fan, that's not the thing on your mind at the moment. You've not seen your team sign anyone for some time and they've just got one of the most deadly strikers in Europe. So, yeah, yeah great signing. Well, I, th- I mean... I think that... I think that... Oh, go on. I was just going to say, going through that midfield then, you think they, they could challenge next year, can they? I think so. I think so. I think they need... Their keeper situation's a bit dodgy. Um, I was speaking to a Chelsea fan about it recently who wants them to, to stick with Kepa and in, in playing devil's advocate to my own argument because I said he wasn't good enough. David De Gea looked a bit flimsy in his first couple of seasons coming from Spain and, you know, did develop into a world-class goalkeeper. So hope isn't lost yet and they won't want to abandon a £70, £80 million signing. Um, but, you know, they're playing, they played Willy Caballero consistently last season. He's unfortunately, although a big fan of his, he's not going to catapult you to a title. And uh, the left-back situation is a bit ominous. Marcos Alonso is not well-liked there. Emerson's OK. Uh, and I still think they probably need another winger because Pedro and Willian are, are getting on and will probably be moved on. Yeah. So there's still a few players off, but, you know, they're, they're an outside chance for sure next season. What, what were you going to say, sorry, Joe? I was going to say, sort of, in terms of, you know, the, the players that they are bringing in, as much as it might, I, I, I don't personally think that it will reduce the playing time of the youngsters but I think basically everyone they're bringing in is replacing people who are leaving um, They've obviously Morata went in, in the transfer ban and so Werner's coming in now um, Hazard went and Pulisic came in um, but like like Jordan's just said then you know um, Pedro and Willian are both on their way out so yeah. um, Ziyech and potentially Havertz are going to come in to replace those players um, I think Chelsea are also quite heavily linked with Chilwell as well, so that'll sort out the left back issue. But it just feels like, it, well, if they got him, it'd sort out the issue. But I think a lot of it, it looks bad to see all these players come in in one transfer window, and sort of it does look like the youth are just sort of being moved to one side. But ultimately, this is just this is just Chelsea sort of refreshing their squad in a similar way that we did after Pep's first season show, when yeah, we just sort yeah. of signed. Yeah. Some we we just we just signed some crucial players that we absolutely needed. We had we'd been sort of getting by with you know thirty plus year old players for a, for a while, but ultimately their contracts are coming to an end. Or in the case of William, he's linked to pretty big clubs quite often. So if you can cash in on someone like him now and bring in Ziek, Havertz, and Werner with with some of the money left over on, on top of that, then you'd be stupid not to. Like Chelsea Chelsea have got the, the opportunity with the sort of the base ingredients of what's just coming out of their academy now to really build on that and make a team that can potentially be quite sort of deadly for the next few years. And I think, yeah, I, I just think this is all part of a, a refresh, basically. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say, Alonso, every time I, I read about him um, or, or you know speak to a Chelsea fan, it's always negative. And yet every time I see him, 
he looks really good. I don't know if I, is that just me? He's got goals. Yeah, off. it probably is. To be fair, yeah. I think I think he's, he's a bit of a collar off character. Yeah. Um, when he plays badly, the fans of that team really, really notice it. Mm. Um, he's, he's not got the recovery pace of a Kyle Walker to get him out of trouble. And he's let's not forget when Chelsea signed him, he wasn't a really uh, a defensive left back, and he still isn't. He's a bit similar to um, more of a left wing back. And yeah. uh, in, in Conte's system, that absolutely suited him because he got to play there. Whereas in a back four, which Lampard's been playing most of the time, you're you're more exposed. Um, and yeah, it's just a it's a character that not many people like. Yeah. Well, if Chelsea were our club in focus, uh, today's fixture in focus is tonight's big game between Tottenham and Manchester United. Um, Joe, how big a lift is it for United to have Rashford and Pogba back fit and available? I think uh, Rashford coming back is definitely a big plus for them. Um, I know they put together a decent string of results before the um, before the break, even without Rashford. But I think it's pretty undeniable that Rashford's better than. I think they played Martial and Greenwood up front, for, yeah. or, or maybe even Martial and James for a lot of the games. And Rashford is just a level above any of those, in my opinion. So it'll be it'll be big for them to have them back. I think the more interesting one is Pogba. Um, I'm personally quite unconvinced that um that he'll be as big of an impact in returning as a lot of united fans seem to think he is because a lot of the ones i've sort of seen on social media and spoken to are sort of quite convinced that you know a midfield of mctominay pogba and fernandez is like a world-class midfield that'll like catapult them to the next level but i i just think a lot of people forget sort of how mercurial pogba has been since he's joined united he's very he's very up and down he's very hot and cold um and obviously, up until this point, he's not really had sort of the right quality of player around him. And hopefully, I think the idea is sort of that being in a midfield that has some real talent alongside him will hopefully sort of elevate him to the, the, the kind of levels that we saw at Juventus. But, you know, if you just look at the comments that like Raiola made about the club and Solskjaer about was it six or seven months ago, I think it's pretty clear that Pogba doesn't even really want to be at United anymore. Yeah. Um, I think it's only the fact that nobody wants to buy him because they can't afford him, especially with everything that's just gone in the last few months. Yeah. Uh, um, has has prevented him from moving. I don't think I don't think the fact that nobody wants to buy him necessarily changes his feelings about the club. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if he can sort of actually put together a decent string of results between now um, performances between now and the end of the season. But I'm I'm not convinced that Pogba coming back is necessarily going to change United in in a massively positive way. But Rashford Rashford definitely will be. Okay, Jordan. Well, like um, Joe, as I've seen the tweets from United fans who are getting quite excited about the Tom May. Uh, Pogba and Fernandez as midfield three. Uh, some are actually saying Matic as well as in there instead of McTominay saying that Matic has, has been on. They've got Fred as well. So, um, kind of two two pronged question for you, Jordan. Firstly, is that an impressive midfield? Um, and secondly, kind of just your your general view really on Pogba and, and his return. I think on paper the midfield three of. Probably, I think McTominay is better than Matic. I know yeah. Matic has had a bit of resurgence, but I think McTominay offers more and, uh, you know, he's got a bit more energy about him, which would be needed in a midfield three with Pogba and Fernandez. Yes. I think on paper, that, that, that's, a, that's a really impressive midfield three. Um, the question is whether that midfield three can translate from paper onto the pitch and play as an effective trio. It's a bit similar to the question when um, could... Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva players roaming gates. Thankfully, we have the best tactician 
in football to um, translate that onto the pitch in Guardiola. Whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, his reputation's improving, whether he can get those three playing together as an efficient trio um, and find the balance there, it remains to be seen. It might actually be, you know, Fred's been superb. Fred has been really, really good in the past, well, I say the past few months, let's ignore the past few months, the past few months before that. Um, he, he's, he should be starting for me. Uh, if I was United fan, that's what I'd want to see. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, yep, same. In terms of Pogba, um, I think he's got a point to prove. It's whether he feels he has a point to prove. It comes down to his mentality, I think. As Joe said, there's been um, rumours and noises about him wanting to leave and uh, his agent, Raiola, trying to get him out. It's whether he wants to go for it and show that he is everything that United fans believe he could be. If he comes back and views it as a chance to just you know build up his fitness before a summer move, potentially, then we won't see the best of him. But a highly motivated Pogba, let's not beat around the bush, he has the potential to be an absolutely superb player, one of the best in the world. I say the potential because he's not there yet. No matter what I've seen on Twitter about him being on the same level as De Bruyne, I mean, it's absolute nonsense. He's not shown that. He's not shown that at all. Um, There's been flashes of brilliance, but we've not seen it on a consistent basis. Um, So if he is driven and works hard for the team, the skill element will take care of itself. Um, and with Bruno Fernandes in there, who's been, looks like a really good addition for United. Um, I, I don't want to use the phrase, it'll bring out the best in him, because every player United signed in midfield has been touted as being someone who will bring out the best in Pogba exactly, and set yes. him free. I mean, yeah. it's, ju- it's just a bit of rubbish. Uh, but it should help. It should help. It helps when you have players on your wavelength who are capable of receiving the ball under pressure and finding a killer pass to you. Um We'll just have to see how it works in practice. It'll be interesting. But on paper, absolutely really promising midfield trio there and some good options to choose from as well. A bit of depth there. I think the actual you know, the choices that, that Solskjaer has now uh, is a big plus for him. Um, as regards to Pogba, I can't remember who said this. I've been trying to wrap the brain as to who said this. But someone once said that um, about photography... And it's very easy to basically take a, a, a stunning photo. You know, the light, look, just circumstance. Anyone can click a button sometimes and just get take a great photo. But can you take a, a great photo next Tuesday at three o'clock or next Saturday at seven o'clock? You know, can you do it to yeah. order? And that's the difference between Paul Pogba and Kevin De Bruyne. You, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, week in, week out, just performs miracles. Pogba will perform one or two miracles a season and people then equate him to De Bruyne. Well, no, it doesn't work like that. So, um, But yeah, I think it'll be a really interesting thing to, to watch our United midfield and see how that develops. And um, They look like they could be getting themselves sorted out in that department. Um, and then they've just got you know the back line and maybe bring in a you know, half-decent manager and they could be in business. <laughs> so... With that in mind, Jordan, do you fancy them to secure a top four spot by the season's end? Yeah, I do. I think they'll do it. I think they've um, they've got a bit of momentum, although how much that actually counts for, given that that momentum ended three months ago. Whether it'll continue into the next, you know, nine games or mm. so remains to be seen. Um, but I think the the vibe that I was getting from them 
uh, was one of confidence and one of a team improving and taking on board their manager's messages. They looked strong. They beat City uh, Old Trafford just before the uh, pandemic. And I think, funnily enough, I don't think this game against Spurs will be an adequate test of whether they've changed because I would have backed them to win this beforehand. You know, they're, they're good away from home in uh, in big yeah. matches. So, uh, you know, I, they're, they're more than capable. It's more the the easier games, which I think they've struggled with. Well, Joe, I mean, Jordan mentioned there about kind of it being three months ago, so it's hard to determine. Um, but it certainly can be said that United were enjoying a good run of form prior to the break. Does this mean anything at all, or is too much time passed now to make it kind of in any way relevant? Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not really too sure how much it matters. I think. I think it'll be a bit of a, a boost for them psychologically um, in terms of being quite close to the top four because of what happened. Um, prior to the break, so hopefully that that sort of closeness to to Chelsea will will give them a bit of the um, the extra extra boost. But I think if you sort of, I'm I'm not too sure. It's just it's difficult to to really um, pinpoint. I think if you're sort of comparing them to Spurs, maybe for example, like Mourinho, um, if he's got the Spurs team on his side, then I think this sort of small compressed nine games sort of way to you know I think if Spurs win tonight they're only one point behind United and they'll probably have their eye on the top four if they do the same Um, so I think something like that would uh, suits a manager like Mourinho because he's good at sort of grinding out wins in those sort of small short compressed um, situations like you know cups and stuff like that Um, but it's difficult to know with Solskjaer I don't know anything about what he's going to be like in this kind of situation And, and the squad themselves you know it's difficult to know. I mean, City looked City looked like after a bit of a rusty opening 10-15 minutes, it looked like they were they were right back into things once things went their way a little bit. Um but we don't know what it's going to be like with United tonight. It could be a case of they concede a goal early doors and they just like fall apart like they're capable of doing or they get a goal early doors and they go on to absolutely dominate. Who knows? Okay. Well, with that in mind then, I mean, I appreciate you just said that it is hard to predict, but What's your gut instinct telling you um, in terms of you know potential scoreline? Oh, I think I, Mourinho's going to make this, especially playing against his old team as well, and sort of the cloud that he left United under. Yeah, um, I think he's I think he's going to like have much more of a point to prove here than he has against any time he's been to, to Chelsea or whatever when he's been at United or, or Madrid. I think he's going to make it really difficult for United, but it's just whether Spurs as a team of players are capable of making it difficult for United. Um having said that, I I would still I, I would expect United to probably sneak like a two one win or something like that. But I think Mourinho will make it difficult for him. Jordan, are you also anticipating a, a ninety minute lockdown if you like for Mourinho? Uh I don't really know. I, I mean these two sides have sort of lost their identities over the past <laughs> yeah, yeah. United's over the past six years, seven years, eight years. Um but Spurs just, I, I don't know what to expect from them because I look at their team and I see the likes of Harry Kane, Young um, Min Son, and Deli Alley. You know, there's, there's a lot of quality there, but it's hard to, you know, the way that they were playing inspires no confidence in them. Um, and I, I say they, I don't mean those three players, I mean them as a team under Mourinho. Yeah. United. I, st- I still don't know what their actual style of football is under Solskjaer, but they seem to be more capable of grinding out results than Spurs. So, yeah, probably Mourinho will be a bit more conservative in nature um, and 
But then again, Soljar also away from home does like to play that three at the back system with uh, wing backs. We'll have to see. I, I honestly, sorry, I've not really answered the question it's there. It's impossible um, to answer because for, for one thing, you've, you've got Pogba and Rashford, Son and, and Kane who are all potentially back. Yeah, and we've we've just no idea on their fitness levels. So um, this really will feel like a, a preseason friendly in my eyes, anyway. Um, it's and, a shame because I, I think it, I think this should be a really good game, but I know it's not going to be. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not. I don't think it's going to be a good spectacle. How under um, Pochettino, you'd have a bit more hope of it, but yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of a drab game. Yeah, I'm, I'm I think it's. I think it's a team. Oh, nice. I, I think it's a team that's. Um, yeah, I think I think it is a team that's sort of looking, um, looking for for the, the sort of the break to have given them a bit of time away to sort of get the get their act together. I think Spurs will probably be that team because they. Like Jordan sort of alluded to there, that they weren't looking great before the um, mm. before the season. And I think they've lost the last three home games before this. And I know one was in the cup to Norwich, so they lost on penalties. But they they weren't looking great before the win before the um, before the break happened. So I think Mourinho will be sort of hoping that this time this time away because they they went back into training quite early, didn't they? I'm sure they were one of the first teams to get back into the in training Spurs, so I, I think, think they were breaking the law and everything weren't they they were doing training yeah, sessions and parks they were, they were training during the lockdown yeah <laughs> yeah so I th- I th- if that's if that's not if that's not done anything for Mourinho then I'm not sure what will to yeah. be honest <laughs> well thank you very much for joining me today gentlemen thank you very much Jordan no no problem at all anytime and thank you very much Joe yeah thank you very much for having me and thanks most of all to you guys for listening in um, a full weekend of football it's back it's marvellous it's strange but it's marvellous um, take care of yourself everyone and forever up the blues <laughs>